The relationship that the church has to Christ Jesus, our Lord, is described in Scripture in many ways using numerous different metaphors. Sometimes it speaks of the church as the body of Christ with him as the head. Sometimes we are described as a building with Christ as our foundation. Elsewhere in Scripture, we we see the church described as the bride with Christ, our husband. It even speaks of Jesus as the true Adam from whom we have descended spiritually, just as we are descendants of the first Adam. Today, we see another metaphor used. We're united with Christ, even as branches are united to the vine from which they spring. So if you now would follow along as I read from John 15, verses 1 through 11, if you are able, out of respect for God's word, please rise. This is the inspired word of God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, and we ask that you indeed would do so today. May you, through your living and active word, through your spirit that dwells within us by your grace, through your power, accomplish your purpose. This morning we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded recently of a line from a sitcom that I had seen once where a a character in it said, I love inside jokes, and someday I hope to be a part of one. You know, the whole idea with an inside joke that unless you know the background, unless you know the context, unless you know what stands behind it, all the meaning is lost on you. Sometimes scripture can be very similar to that as well, right? We, We miss out on a lot of the meaning of scripture because we don't understand the background that stands behind it. We're not in on 
what's being said. And today's text is one text that perhaps carries this idea, something that we might miss out on that a first century Jew who was reading this would not have missed out on is the fact that Jesus refers to himself here as the true vine. Now when first century Jewish ears heard speaking of the true vine, they would have realized that Israel, the people of God, were often throughout the Old Testament referred to as a vine or a vineyard. In Psalm 80, God, uh, God's word says that you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 5, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. But there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem, and that is that the vine of Israel had not always produced, produced the fruit that God had intended. And that's why we see in that same Isaiah 5, Right after he says that they are this vine of pleasant planting, he looked for justice but beheld bloodshed, for righteousness but behold an outcry. And in that same Jeremiah 2, after being planted of holy pure seed, we read, how then have you turned degenerate and become a wild Vine. The prophets time and time again alerted the people of Israel to this fact. They are this vine that God has planted and yet they are unfaithful to the purposes he had for them. And they are not producing the fruit that he would desire. We as the people of God perhaps can find this oh too familiar. For oftentimes we are wandering from the way that we should be headed. Oftentimes we are doing the things we ought not to be doing. But Jesus comes here now and he says, I am the true vine. I am not some counterfeit vine. I am not just some approximation of the vine. I am not just kind of like that one vine thing. I am the true vine. I am the one that God has, has given that might be faithful in all ways to all of his purposes. And if we are to be faithful followers of Christ Jesus, then we must abide in him. That word abide, it's a key word to this passage. Surely you caught on that. Uh, 10 times from verses four to 10, that word abide pops up. You know, when you're looking at a biblical text and a word shows up over and over and over again, that's obviously got to have some kind of key meaning in that passage. And so when we, we look at this word abide and we ask what it means, the idea is one of, of remaining uh, steadfastly, not just stopping off on the way to somewhere else, right? We, it's not the idea of, well, I'm on a trip to California and I'm going to abide in the hotel overnight on the way there. No, it's, it's a steadfast remaining and continuing in, a permanence of being, being settled somewhere. And right in the middle of our passage, we see this in verse 5 and 6. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But there's a problem. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
He continues, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So we see here the importance of abiding in Christ, of remaining in Christ, of being united with Christ. But be certain, this union is not a hardship for us to endure. It is a thing of great blessing. And that's largely what this text is about today. What are those blessings? Well, I think we see these three. We see that if we abide in Christ's person, you will bear much fruit. Number two, if you abide in Christ's word, you will have your prayers answered. Finally, three, if you abide in Christ's love, you will be filled with joy. What blessing is available to us when we are in communion with Christ Jesus? First, abide in Christ's person and you will bear much fruit. That's the whole purpose of a vine, right? It's to, to produce fruit. I mean, I, often I think of vines and I think of, it's like a troublesome thing that kind of gets wrapped around this this fence that I have to clear off or I have to, you know, maybe trip over or something like that. You know, that but that's not the idea that's being spoken of here. The vine is a good thing. It is a, a productive thing in this metaphor. It is supposed to produce fruit. And Israel had, had failed to be fruitful. So Jesus comes saying, I am the vine. I am the fulfillment of all that Israel have been called to be. And he goes on to say, my father is the vine dresser. Literally, it's, he's the farmer, right? He's the one who's the farmer of the vine. He's the one who takes care of it and who tends to it and who, who grows it, who, who takes care of all the details and makes sure that it is producing the fruit that it ought to be producing. We see that part of that work is the pruning off of the dead parts, the parts that aren't producing fruit. And then even in the live parts, there is some, some pruning that takes place that they might be more fruitful. Every branch, verse 2 tells us, that does not bear fruit is taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear more fruit. And, and we start perhaps asking, well, what kind of fruit is this? Is this just some set of good deeds that we need to do? Is this some some uh, giving of certain money, or is this, uh, the, where's the list? What are the steps that we need to take to, to produce these fruits? And it's very simple, I think, right? Just as, as, right? The apple, right? The fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. What does the Spirit produce? We read it just moments ago. Love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that the Spirit produces. So if we are in union with Christ, if we are joined with Christ, together with his Spirit dwelling in us, those are the things that he will produce in us. I want to be clear here that, that these fruits, or this fruit, is, is not a matter of our doing things so much as God working in us, producing these things. It's not just a list of good deeds, and, and it's not something that we, 
we do by, by working harder or trying harder or accomplishing more. Rather, it's, it's a change that is taking place in us and, and these things flow out of that change by the grace of God. Right? God, by his grace, works sanctification in us. And we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. And so in verse 3, Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, to those who are following him, those who are in union with him already, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Interestingly here, this word clean here is, is actually connected. It's the same root word as the word pruned or the pruning. Right? They're, they're related words. The idea is clean, not, not like he took water and washed it, but rather he's, he's already pruned that, that branch. He's already worked on it, and he is at work in us. If we trust in him, we know that he's at work in us because we could not trust in him were he not already working in us. Right? He has brought us out of darkness and into light. He has, he has taken our dead heart and made it alive. He has given us life when we were dead. And if he is already working in us, Paul tells us in Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So, so God is at work in us if we trust in him. He will continue to be at work and he will continue to produce his fruit through his pruning. And pruning can be hard. Make no mistake of it. Right? We, we know this from our life. We go through things and we have hardships and, and the Lord works through those hardships. But Sinclair Ferguson has a great quote that I came across as I was studying this week. He said, as the gardener comes along to prune the vine, it is the vine himself who receives his severest stroke. It is the one who would be cut off out of the land of the living, as Isaiah said, stricken for the sake of his people. And what happens to the branches is that they receive only the light scraping of the pruner's knife as it passes by, having drawn blood from his own dear son first. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Dr. Ferguson would agree that our sufferings are very real. He's not minimizing our sufferings there. He's not saying, oh, your suffering's no big deal. That's not what he's saying at all. But what he's saying is that Christ Jesus has suffered every bit as much as we have and more. He understands our sufferings. He knows our sufferings. Whatever pain you have endured, whatever you are going through today, whatever the Lord, you know two things. One is that the Lord is accomplishing his purposes in you through that suffering. But secondly, know this. Jesus knows that suffering. He knows that pain. He knows what it's like to endure it because he has. And he gives us his compassion that we might grow in compassion as he is. Abide in me, he says in verse four, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Abide in Christ Jesus, and you will bear much fruit. The second blessing, abide in Christ's word and your prayers will be answered. That sounds just too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. 
When I first kind of came up with that as the second point here, abide in Christ's word and your prayers will be answered, I almost didn't put it down. I said, nope, I can't do that. It just sounds too good to be true. Abide in Christ and your prayers will be answered? Like, all your prayers? I, I don't know about you, but my prayer life isn't such that all my prayers get answered. Sometimes it's kind of like I hear the silence of God. And yet I look to the scriptures here and on their authority in verse 7 I read, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is a serious promise right there. So we need to wrestle with that. We need to figure out what he's saying exactly. Just a chapter earlier, Jesus has said something very similar. He's saying it here just in a different way, but in John 14, 13, he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Right? So, so this idea of abiding in Christ and asking in his name seem to be related. Right? And so, so we need to understand what exactly that means when we pray in Jesus' name. That's not just kind of praying whatever we want and then at the end tack on the, uh, the in Jesus' name uh, you know, little stamp at the end. No, it's more than that. It's, it's actually coming on behalf of Jesus and, and, and sharing his Thoughts, as it were, right? Uh, I love what uh, Johannes Kepler said. He was a 17th century scientist, and he said in regards to his study of astronomy, this, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. He went on to note, since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our own minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. I love that mindset. I love that idea that thinking God's thoughts after him and above all else being mindful of the glory of God. Right? That's, that's the idea. That's what, what's most important to God. But if you ask, it sounds a little conceited, doesn't it? God, what's most important to you? My own glory. Wow. You think a lot of yourself, don't you, God? Yeah, he does. And he ought to. Because there is much to him. He is the almighty one. He is the all-glorious one. For him to think less of himself would be untruthful. And for us to think less of him is sinful. So, so why don't our prayers always get answered? It's because we're not fully committed to this mindset above, above all else, the glory of God. Right? James puts it this way in James 4. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Right? He, we, we pray prayers where we say, God, give me this. Right? And why we're concerned with that is because we want it. We're not so concerned about God's glory. If you want a prayer you know will be answered, pray that God's glory may be made manifest. Pray that, that he would be at work in you, bringing about your, your growth and his glory. Right? 
Follow the words of the psalmist in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not, not, it's not a reward, but rather it's, it's a delighting in him that changes the desires of our heart, that brings our hearts into alignment with God's heart, and thus makes him all the more willing to provide that which we want, right? Because in a very real sense, our prayers aren't about changing God so much as they are about changing us, helping our hearts to come into alignment with his. We, we grow in this way through prayer as we grow in Christ Jesus. Our own selfish desires are, are pushed off to the side as Christ and his glory becomes greater and greater and greater. And so in verse eight, he says, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Right? So if, that's the pr- if you want a prayer that's going to be answered, on the basis of verse 8 right here, right, pray that God would be glorified, that you would prove to be his disciple through the bearing of much fruit. But beware. Just like we sang a moment ago, Right? That kind of prayer doesn't always go the way we want. Sometimes our growth comes about through the pruners or through the vine dressers pruning. Right? Sometimes it comes through hardship and through through that, that prayer for grace and faith is not an easy answered prayer. But it is a prayer that is answered well. A prayer that is answered for our good and God's glory. Right? So when we pray for peace to be exhibited in our lives as a fruit of the Spirit, realize that peace is exhibited when? In the midst of turmoil. Right? When, when we pray that patience would be exhibited in our lives, realize that we only have to have patience when there's something we're waiting for and we don't have it now. When, when we're praying for self-control to be exhibited, realize we only need self-control in the face of opposition. Right? These, these things are going to come in hard ways at times. But realize that God is accomplishing his work, pruning his disciples that they might be the people he wants us to be. And if we truly are his disciples, there is yet another blessing, that third one. Abide in Christ's love and you will be filled with joy. I need that after that point too, right? I need that after the hardship of the pruning and and the sorrows that come our way. I need to be reminded that following Jesus, walking with Jesus, abiding in Jesus and his love will bring about joy. And that's the promise. As the Father has loved me, he says, so have I loved you. Right? Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I love you. In the same way, how did God love him? Remember at his baptism, at the transfiguration? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? The God of all the heavens and the earth, who knew everything, looks at Jesus and says, wow, I'm well pleased. In fact, it wasn't just at that moment. He loved him eternally. Jesus says in in John 17, you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's an eternal love that he has, this perfect love that he has. And Jesus says in that same way, 
Just as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Isn't it great to be loved? Isn't it great to be loved by one so lovely as Christ Jesus? What could bring us more joy than that? And he says, abide in my love, remain in my love. It's not a passive thing. It's not not just like, well, you know, go on the beach and sit on the beach and abide on the beach. No, no, it's something that, that we actively do, right? We, we do so, he says, by, by keeping his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He's not saying that we earn it that way, but, but that's the way we evidence the abiding in his love, right? And, and it's not part of our text today, and perhaps it should have been. If we had gone one verse more, we would have gotten to verse 12, where he says this, this is my commandment. And that's, that's pretty important if he's just said, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, right? Well, well what, what are your commandments, Jesus? He says here, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that means all of you, me, all of us, we need to love one another. It's not always easy. I'll be honest with you. You know, sometimes I'm not very lovable. Sometimes you're not very lovable. It's just our nature as humans, right? We, we become short-tempered sometimes. We, we, we say mean-spirited things. We, we, we aren't always as lovely as we should be. Christ has loved us yet. And we are called to love each other as well. And if we are in Christ, this will bring us joy. These things, he says in verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Right? A full joy. That's what we get from this. Because, because a shared joy is a greater joy. Isn't it? Isn't it greater to share in those things? Right? That's why on Saturdays, right, 100,000 people will go to Ann Arbor, right? The traffic's a, a pain. The tickets are expensive. The crowd, it's uncomfortable. It's cold now. We get to this time of year, right? But people want to share in that experience, right? It's, it's, it's better if you're a Michigan fan to be in Ann Arbor with 100,000 people than sitting at home on your couch watching on TV by yourself, right? Because you're sharing it with people. And a shared joy is a wonderful joy. And that's why it's important for us to gather together here on Sunday mornings, right? That's why we can't just, you know, the way technology is going, we've got the live stream. It's good that we have the live stream. We want to have that for those people who can't be here so that the people, I know we've got people who literally live in different states that are, joining us this morning via the live stream. We're glad that they can do that. Uh, we're glad that when you go on vacation, you can still check in with us. You can still see us. When I go on vacation, like last week, I was able to watch the service and, and, and be involved in that way. But, but it's very different to watch the service on a screen than to be here. It's different because I don't feel the same, but it's also different because you don't experience the same, right? If, if, I'm not here, or if you're not here, or if you're not here, we don't get to experience each other, right? And, and so that's why it's important to be here if we can. 
And, and also, frankly, this is just kind of a little thing. I, I, I look out over this room right here. It's a big room. We wish we had 100,000 people here. Well, that'd be too many, but we wish we had 400 people here, maybe, right? And, and we'd all be sharing in this joy, sitting shoulder to shoulder with each other, singing hymns and rejoicing with one another. As it is, you know, I've got three or four people back there and two people over there and two people over there and you now two over there and one over here, two, one more and one more. You know, we're, we're kind of dotted around the sanctuary. What, it seems to me it would be nicer if we were, you know, just kind of closer to each other. I don't know. It, it just seems like the whole worship experience, not just for me, not just for you, but, but for others. You know, I, and, and I understand during COVID especially, there were health concerns spread out, absolutely. You know, but, but apart from that, I, I don't want to push it too far, but it just seems we should want to be together. There's times on Wednesday nights, we gather and there's 25 of us or 30 of us. And it seems so much more together because we're all sitting in a little tiny area, right? And the singing seems more joyful. And the, the fellowship and the warmth is more, more palpable. I, I just leave that with you for today. We need, we're running out of time. I need to move on. Um, whatever decisions we make, they shouldn't just be about what, what I enjoy, what you enjoy. They should be what will most glorify God. What will most be a demonstration of our love for one another. Jesus, of course, set the example for this. He, he said in John 14, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. As he said this spread across the table in front of him were the symbols of his impending death and the basis of our peace. These same symbols are here on this table here today. Right? These same symbols and what they represent. And on the basis of them, Christ said to his disciples, and he says to us, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, live in peace and in joy and in love. Jesus, who was the word made flesh, said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So we see in the elements here, the bread and the wine, or the fruit of the vine, as it would have been called in Jesus' day. It was an ordinary drink, a table drink, served commonly with meals, but it had great significance beyond that. You may recall from our study of Amos a while back, where he spoke in the following terms, saying, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. He was saying that, that wine was a, a picture of the messianic kingdom and its blessings. And so we have these elements, and Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's 
death until he comes. So there's a sense in which we're looking back to what Jesus has accomplished, but we're also looking forward to his return. And of the great wedding feast of the Lamb that we will partake of on that day. And Jesus says in Matthew, I, I tell you this, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So if you are a branch connected to the vine, Jesus says to you, come and partake. Share in this meal. Know the life that I give through faith as we partake in faith. But if you're not a branch connected to the vine, this meal's not for you. Not because you're not good enough, because any of us, none of us, are good enough. But it's only through faith that Christ Jesus saves us. And it is only through faith that we might truly partake of him. And so at the Lord's table, he confirms the promises of the gospel. He, he strengthens and nourishes our faith. He renews his covenant and reminds us that we are his. And so as part of our preparation to come to the table... It is our custom to proclaim our common faith with one another. You'll find in your bulletin uh, the Apostles' Creed printed there. Let us now together share in this ancient statement of faith. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you have made us your own. You've graciously shown us your love, and now we, by grace, receive it. May we, so nourished, bear your fruit, have our prayers answered, and experience your joy. To the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Would the elders now come forward, please?
Our Lord Jesus is with us always in a special way. He is with us today and he tells us to partake of this for this is his body.
as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a somber occasion. We contemplate the price that was paid, the sorrows that Christ endured for us. But at the same time, we rejoice and we sing out hallelujah, what a savior. Would you now, if you're able, rise as we sing together hymn 352, Man of Sorrows, what a name. Indeed, we look forward to that day when we will sing that song anew. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen.